Okay, so chapter 24 of the Civil Magistrate. Um, I want to begin uh, this chapter with uh, just kind of pointing out maybe the obvious, which is that it's really interesting that these confessions would cover a topic like the Civil Magistrate. Um, what is the Civil Magistrate? Government. Government. Easy, easy way to, to explain it, right? Governing authorities. Human governing authorities. So yeah, that's, that's what the civil magistrate is. And so it's important for us as we study theology, as we study um, covenant, as we study all of these things, how they then uh, impact how we understand what the civil magistrate is. Um, anybody ever serve in the military in here? I know a few of you. Okay, all right, I've heard the, uh, all the noises uh, that you guys like to make. Um, anybody serve in uh, the police force here? I know a couple of, hey, yeah, I see you. Dennis, I see you. Okay, uh, and uh, what about, has anyone served as an elected official? Dennis, was that a... Oh, I didn't know. I was like, wow, that's really cool, buddy. I didn't know that about you. Ted, I saw your hand go up. You, you've served as an elected official. That's awesome. City council? Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, well, well, don't listen to that part uh, this morning. Um, but I will say, you know, when we think of these things, you have to ask the question, are Christians allowed to be in these areas? Are we allowed to serve in these areas? Um, what happens if you have to take someone's life? Is that okay? Can Christians do that? Right? These are questions um, that, are, that are deep questions. They're, they're ones that you have to consider and wrestle with. Um, even thinking of our own history of our own country, you have to think of, of certain things that come up. And so when we come to a chapter like this, the civil magistrate, you know, you might think, oh man, do we really have to talk about something like this? And the answer is yes, we do. We have to see uh, how God's word comes to bear on institutions uh, like the civil government. Okay, with uh, that quick introduction uh, let's assign the three paragraphs. We only have three paragraphs this morning, and we could spend three months here. Um, but let's, let's go through the three paragraphs. So I actually printed it out this week on your paper, so no one has excuse, okay? So who wants to take paragraph one? Any takers? Any takers? Just, okay. Sean, you can go paragraph two. I've just assigned that to you, voluntold. Okay, uh, paragraph three. All right, thank you. Let's, let's go ahead. Justin leads off. God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, has ordained civil magistrates to be under him, over the people, for his own glory and the public good. And to this end has armed them with the power of the sword, for defense and encouragement of them to, of them that do good, and for the punishment of evildoers. Is it lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto, in the management whereof, as they ought especially to maintain justice and peace, according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom and commonwealth. So for that end, they may lawfully now, under the New Testament, wage war upon just and necessary occasions. Civil magistrates being set up by God for the end aforesaid, subjection in all lawful things commanded by them, ought to be yielded by us in the Lord, not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. And we ought to make supplications and prayers for kings and all that are in authority, that under them we may live a quiet and peaceful and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Okay. 
There are the three paragraphs um, of this confession. And, and we might not get to it because of time. But uh, if you uh, are a confessional buff, you'll, you'll notice that there is a difference between this confession and the mother confession. So the mother confession being the Westminster confession. They have an additional paragraph here. And hopefully we'll get to jump into why the Baptists made a very clear subtraction of that paragraph. Uh, and we'll get to that towards the end. But these are the three paragraphs that the Baptist editors decided to place in it, uh, into this confession. Now what I'm going to do in, in how we break it down this morning in your, in your handout. Um, under paragraph one, uh, the fill-in A, and under paragraph two, the fill-in A, and under paragraph three, the fill-in A, all of these are just going to be one succinct sentence helping us understand what each paragraph is about. Okay, so I don't want us to lose the fact that there are just very three very simple things that come from this confession. And I want us to hear those three simple things and to understand them. Okay, so paragraph number one, you're filling. God is the sovereign king over all creation and has ordained the civil magistrate. Okay. So if we can read, uh, let me get three readers. Someone read for us Psalm 2. Uh, I saw Rachel, but if we're Wesley were here, he would sing it to us. Um, but he is, I don't see him, so we'll have to make him do that for us later. Uh, Dennis, go ahead, get for us Psalm 2. Um, Daniel 4, 34 and 35. Daniel 4, 34 and 35. Thanks, Jane. Uh, and then uh, let's do Matthew 28, 17. Okay, thank you. All right, when you get there, go ahead. All of Psalm 2. Yeah, just okay. read the whole thing. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he is not, that he not become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Thank you, brother. We see very clearly from Psalm 2 uh, that God is the sovereign king, and, and he makes specific reference to the Christ. Uh, being his king who will have all authority uh, over all government, over all things. Um, so I just wanted to add that psalm in there for us to just be reminded that God is king over all creation. Uh, Daniel four thirty four through 35. Yes, this is Nebuchadnezzar restored. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. 
For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Thank you. Yeah, we see... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was this mighty ruler, right, of a, of a non-Christian. You missed your opportunity to sing Psalm 2. I just want to make that known to you. We still love you, Wesley. We're glad you're here. Y'all sang it, though, right? No, we, we read it. We read it. I know you're wanting to. Go sit down. Go sit down. We appreciate you, Wesley. We're glad you're here. Um, so we, we see Nebuchadnezzar, right, being this mighty... A secular king who then loses his mind, and then when he comes to his senses, he is able to confess that, yes, God is king uh, over all things. All right, Matthew 28, 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Is that what I meant by Matthew 28, 17? I wanted to hear all authority in heaven and earth. Oh, well, is that 18? And Jesus came Thanks. and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth. Thank you. Guys, I was battling a cold and sickness this week, so there might be more uh, that is incorrect. But yes, Matthew uh, 28, 18, we see that all authority has been given to Christ. Just a reminder that, yes, Christ is king over everything, Uh, even over whatever uh, civil magistrate we may have. So, uh, A, you had your fill-ins. Uh, God is sovereign king over all creation and has ordained the civil magistrate. Now we're going to go into three ways in which God has ordained the civil magistrate. That will be helpful for us to hear this morning. Number one, it is his ordained position. Okay, that's your fill-in. It is his ordained position. Uh, I love this phrase from the confession. Um, Under him and over the people. And then we see to his glory and public good. So under him and over the people. Friend, God chooses the magistrate to administer authority over people. Uh, Will somebody read Isaiah 46, 8 through 11? Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. Go for it. Remember this and stand firm. Call it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, yet things from ancient times not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Thank you. So we see that, yes, the civil magistrate is actually a part of God's divine decree. Uh, that this is something that God has decreed from eternity past. Uh, that we can believe that this is God's ordained position. Now I'm going to read for you Romans 13. Um, being a very helpful uh, passage for us to understand these things. And again, we'll reference back to Romans 13 pretty much the entire study. But Romans 13 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority 
except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. The authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So we see that the civil magistrate is God's ordained position. Okay, there, there are more for Peter 2. We'll get into that later. Um, but what we're going to see is that the confession here is going to start walking through God's ordained positions of authority. So we start here in the civil magistrate. But if you flip over to the next chapter, which Brandon will be teaching for us, Lord willing, next week, it is, excuse me, it is marriage. And then after marriage comes the church. So we're seeing that the confession is laying out kind of three areas here of distinct authority that God has given, um, has, has laid down for us uh, according to his purpose. We see the civil magistrate has authority, has been given authority um, by God. We see that uh, the family, uh, marriage, has authority by God. And then we also see that the church has been given, ordained authority by God. Now, let me just read for a second to remind us, uh, again, this position is ordained by God. This comes from the confession. It says, God's decree is from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will. Freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever come to pass. All things whatsoever come to pass. This is part of the decree of God. So the first was, this is his ordained position. Number two, I want you to read that it is his ordained purpose. Position was number one. Purpose is number two. This is for his own glory and the public good. Now, I know we can, I can already feel the bristles, right? And I don't know, is it always good? And, um, you know, you might be able to, be angry about certain governments, about certain presidents, about certain, you know, city councils, apparently, for, for Ted. Um, um, and you can see how there's a, there's a, you know, there's an angst there, right? Um, but really, um, it is inherently good that we live in an ordered society. In fact, you could, if you're looking for a theological category here, this is such a beautiful common grace that God has given to everyone uh, that we would have ordered society. Because what's the opposite of an ordered society? Chaos. chaos, right? Or anarchy. If we lived in a state of chaos or anarchy, do you think it would be worse than this? Some of you might say, I don't know about that. Uh, but I, I, I would assure you, friend, it would be. It would be much, much worse. And this is something to give glory to God about. Praise be to God that it is not in anarchy. Praise be to God. 
uh, that we can, we can say, yes, um, we, we have certain helps that the government gives us, uh, keeps us safe, protects us in some areas, and we can be thankful, we can be thankful for that. Again, Romans 13, uh, verses 3 and 4, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So we see that his purpose is for his own glory... And for the public good. His purpose is also for an encouragement for those that do good and punishment for those that do evil. Now we're going to get into the reason why God has given um, the, the civil magistrate the power of the sword. But we see that there is encouragement um, for those that do good. That we are not being punished by the sword. So that's something that we can thank God for. Now his ordained Position, his ordained purpose, and then finally we come to his ordained power. Now that is the power of the sword, right? This is for defense and for encouragement. This is for punishment of evildoers. Yes, it is appropriate for evildoers to be punished. Now, we've read through Romans 13. But what I would have you do is go back and read. Um, there are multiple Proverbs. I only included Proverbs 16, 14, 20, uh, 20, verse 2, and 21, verse 15, that are actually talking about the fact that one should be in fear if they defy the king. One should be in fear if you defy the king's decrees because he will punish you. There's punishment coming for defying the king. And so a uh, uh, general wisdom then would be don't do that uh, because you will be punished for it. Genesis 9, 5 through 6, um, uh, this Noahic understanding uh, covenant talking about by one, uh, where if you shed blood, uh, your blood will be shed. Um, talking about the fact that murderers will receive punishment. They will receive uh, their due and then I think really interestingly, uh, in Acts chapter 25, Acts chapter 25, I'm going to jump there just for a second. I know I only have one verse here in here, but this is Paul. After Paul has uh, made his appeal to Caesar, right? Uh, notice Paul is not leading a revolution against Caesar. Notice that Paul, who's uh, a Roman citizen and a Christian, uh, is not leading a revolt against Caesar, although Caesar is clearly uh, being a tyrant in numerous ways. Um, but he is making his case. And then, in verse 11, he says, If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Right? This is that famous line. But notice what Paul says. I don't fear death, and if I've done wrong, then bring it on. Right? Um, he's saying, yeah, I'm going to accept the fact that I am under a government, although I don't agree with it, and I think it's wrong. I'm under this government, and if it means that I will be put to death for what I believe, then so be it. 
Okay, we're going to get back to it in paragraph three. So if you're already just bucking against this, but when do I disobey? You know, how can I do that? Calm down. We're going to get to it probably won't be as much as you like, uh, but, but hang in there with me, okay? All right, so paragraph two. Now, this is one that I have a, a concerted interest in, okay? So paragraph two, uh, we get the question that maybe all of us are asking ourselves. Can we be a part of the civil magistrate? Can a Christian in good conscience serve in a position that will either be um, putting themselves in a situation where they may have to take someone else's life. Now, this is one, I'll just be very honest with you, that I have struggled with. This has been really hard for me. Uh, not only this side of police work, um, but actually on the other side of police work. And, and I'll just give you a, um, an insight into an experience that I had. So I'm almost done uh, with the LAPD uh, interview process. I've, I've had my board. I've been grilled by people. I was much more physically fit back then and could do all the things, and that wasn't a problem for me. Uh, I passed all my psyche vows, this and that and the other. And the very last thing you had to do before you got your academy date was meet with a department psychologist. Ooh, scary, right? And so I sat down across the table from her, and she brings this up. She said, uh, I've read your profile, and it was very clear from the beginning uh, that you're an outspoken Christian. Is this true? And I was like, oh, man, that's weird um, that she would bring that up. And I'm like, yeah, it's, that, that's true. I'm a Christian. And she said, okay, um, help me understand. In the LAPD, uh, it is very clear that you have a very high probability of getting in a shooting. And with that high probability of you getting into a shooting, you could kill somebody. And I'm like, I, I think I understand that, yes. And she goes, as a Christian, doesn't that go against your Bible? I was like, what? And she goes, doesn't that go against your Bible? Thou shall not kill, right? She's not quoting it correctly. But thou shall not kill. Isn't that what it says? I'm like, oh, wow. And really, um, maybe I wasn't prepared in this moment, but it, it kind of caught me off guard, put me on my heels. And I thought about it for a second, and I'm like, well, I think there's a very clear distinction that we need to make, man. Um, the distinction is, is that I'm not setting out to kill anybody. Uh, and, and in fact, I'm not setting out to murder anybody, which is what I think you mean to say. Um, but the thing is, um, is that this job is calling me to protect human life. That's what it's calling me to do. And so in protection of human life, I may have to get in a shooting to stop somebody from taking human life. And as a Christian, that's something that I am okay with doing because I can understand that that is not a sin. She goes, well, that's not what all Christians believe. And I said, well, that's, that's what I believe. She said, okay. And I thought, oh, man, I might not actually get to be a police officer after all. Um, but lo and behold, I got a call from a drill instructor, and the rest is, is history. But this is what you may come up against uh, if you are in the civil magistrate. Not only a misunderstanding from the civil magistrate about who God is, but even yourself wrestling with, is it okay for me to do this? Can I do this? Um, and that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. But what I'm going to tell you from the, from the confession, what the confession says, that I hope may bring some clarity to you, is that it is certainly in the affirmative. So here's your one-sentence description uh, that can help you out from paragraph two. Christians can serve in the civil government. You can 
You can serve in the civil government. And in fact, this is my own opinion. You don't have to share it, but I hope that you do. I hope that you go and that you're a light. And what is most assuredly one of the darkest places on earth. That was my experience as a police officer. I'm sure, hoorah, all those guys, right? And ladies, they would probably affirm the same thing. They'd probably say, yeah, it's really dark. And we need people who, who value Christ. Now, that your conscience may bind you to say, I can't do that. I love you. And that's okay. Not everybody has to be in the military. But I'm just saying, I want you to hear with a clear conscience um, that the confession is stating that yes, they can serve in the civil government. And, and we'll go through a couple of verses that I hope will shed light on that. So the confession says that it's lawful for Christians to serve specifically in maintaining justice and peace. Why do you think specifically in maintaining justice and peace? Why do you think that would be a way that Christians could serve in the civil government? Why would that would be important? Anybody? They're bringing their biblical worldview to actually the policies. Okay, good. Absolutely. That you could, if you're, if you're a policymaker, that you could have uh, the word of God shape your worldview and so that you would bring that into making policy. Absolutely. What else? For justice and peace. Yeah. So who loves justice and peace? God loves justice and peace. God is the God of righteousness. He wants there to be justice. So is it okay for us to be a part of a system that not perfectly, but certainly wants to promote that? Absolutely. Um, Psalm 82 is an interesting psalm. They're all interesting, right? If you, if you said, oh, none of them are interesting, I'd be like, get out. No, no. So I'm going to read verses 2 through 3, but I'll just say verse 1 um, will be a very interesting interpretation study. Uh, so I'm going to say that could be a whole Sunday school on itself about God sitting and taking his place in the divine council. Uh, we'll get to that hopefully at another time. But I want you to hear um, how God speaks to what I think him talking to civil magistrates or, or those at least that are under him that have authority of power to bring about justice. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Okay, so God certainly cares about justice. Now, uh, let's go to Luke Three, so we're kind of jumping around, but that's always fun. Luke three, this is one that maybe I have a, a certain leaning towards, um, but this is John the Baptist, if you remember, and crowds are just flying out to this guy, right? This guy is just so cool to listen to. Everybody wants to come. They want to repent, uh, or maybe they don't want to repent. They just want to be a part of this this crowd. But the crowds came and asked him. What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. I want you to hear for a second. A tax collector, right, which by no means does anybody in this time like the tax collectors, except for maybe the tax collector and his family, because they're doing pretty well because they're collecting more than they probably should. At least that's what we see the rebuke to the tax collectors usually being. 
But what John the Baptist says is not quit being a tax collector. No, because that's a part of this civil magistrate at the time. They had tax collectors. So he didn't say stop being a part of the IRS. He said, no, don't collect more than is due. And then soldiers came up and asked, hey, and and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Don't stop being a soldier. That's not what he said. He didn't say don't be a soldier. He actually did say don't stop being a soldier. But he, he said, don't, right, don't use your power to get gain. Be honest is what he's telling them. He didn't tell them to quit. Another story I really like, not a story, but history, um, Acts chapter 10, we have Peter, right, who is coming to this house full of Gentiles. And not just any uh, Gentiles, and I, I won't go through the whole thing, but we have uh, Cornelius, a centurion, right? We have, we have someone again who is a soldier in uh, a Roman legion. And so we have, we have Cornelius here, and, and when Peter comes... And when he uh, shares the word of God and the Holy Spirit comes down and all these Gentiles start speaking in tongues and start believing and all, all of them are just amazed. They're like, what's happening? The Gentiles? Seriously? And, and, and what does Peter say? Now quit being a centurion. No, he makes no mention of that. We just, we just move along in our story. And so I want to say, don't be too hasty to say Christians can't serve in the civil government. Um, and so I will jump now quickly. Uh, this can also go to just war theory. Um, and we have not enough time to jump into just war theory. Um, but that is a good one to remember. But I do want to give you the historical background of why this was needed to be put in there. And why the Baptists wanted to champion this, this paragraph is because, because, because of the Anabaptist denial. Okay. So a little quick history on the Anabaptists. Um, kind of this uh, interesting, radical group of, um, I'll put air quotes, reformers. Um, uh, they, they have a, a long history of kind of um, following after certain reformers uh, and then breaking off and being radicalized and, and doing all kinds of interesting things that you can read about. But one of them was Michael Sattler. And he is said to have written the Schleitheim. That's how you say it in German. Everybody say Schleitheim. I don't really know if that's how you say it in German, but it was fun to have you guys repeat it. Um, the Schleitheim Confession of 1527. And this, this confession had seven articles that flatly denied what we have just read in chapter 2. They flatly denied that you could do these things. Um, they said that you could have no association with the civil magistrate. You could have no association with the sword, which is really weird because later on they kind of had an insurrection in Munster. Um, but again, that's other history that I say go Google and you will, you will read lots of interesting things. But I did want to read to you. I wanted to read to you a part of this confession. So it's not just me slandering uh, the Anabaptists, but you can hear it themselves. This, this is part of the confession. A separation shall be made from the evil and from the wickedness which the devil planted in the world. In this manner, simply that we shall not have fellowship with them, the wicked, and not run with them in the multitude of their abominations. This is the way it is, 
since all who do not walk in the obedience of faith and have not united themselves with God so that they wish to do his will are a great abomination before God. It is not possible for anything to grow or issue from them except abominable things. For truly all creatures are in but two classes, good and bad, believing, unbelieving, darkness and light, the world and those who have come out of the world, God's temple and idols, God's temple and idols, Christ and Belial, and none can have part with the other. To us then, the command of the Lord is clear when he calls us upon to be separate from the evils and thus he will be our God and we shall be his sons and daughters. He further admonishes us to withdraw from Babylon and earthly Egypt that we may not be partakers of the pain and suffering which the Lord will bring upon them. From this we should learn that everything which is not united with God and Christ cannot be other than an abomination. You hearing a word uh, being repeated here? Which we should shun and flee. By this is meant, here's an interesting caveat, by this is meant, the abominations, all Catholic and Protestant works and church services, meetings and church attendance, drinking houses, civic affairs, the oath sworn in unbelief and other things, right? That's what Brandon talked about last week, which are highly regarded by the world and yet carried on in flat contradiction to the command of God in accordance with all the unrighteousness which is in the world. Um, I'm going to just skip down to, to number seven. Therefore, there will be, or there will also unquestionably fall from us, the unchristian, devilish weapons of force, such as the sword, armor, and the like, and all their use either, for friends or against one's enemies, by virtue of the word of Christ, resist not him that is evil. Okay, do you think it was important to have this paragraph in with the Anabaptist influence in the area? Okay, this is not just the Baptists that put it in, the, the Westminster Savoy. They have similar paragraphs in there. But they're wanting to make very clear, and our Baptist forefathers are trying to make very clear, we're not Anabaptists. Hear us, we're not Anabaptists. We're not them. We actually see that God has ordained the government, that this is, that there is good in it. Okay, with the remaining time, uh, which was, not really done purposefully, um, but uh, we'll, we'll jump into paragraph three, okay? This is probably the one um, that you guys were, were wishing to hear the most exposition of, and, and we can certainly go back another time. But here's your quick recap of it. Christians are to be subject, or Christians are to subject themselves to the government. Christians are to subject themselves to the government, we see in the paragraphs it says, be subject to them in lawful things. Hmm. Here is the qualifier. The, the confession makes a qualifying statement that we should subject ourselves in lawful things. So Sam Waldron helps us here. He says, the great question, however, is what defines what is lawful? The answer must be only the word of God. Not our opinions, nor our feelings, nor our traditions, nor our convenience. The word of God written is the sole authority for what is lawful. Lawful things are being defined by the word of God and described by the law of God, which is God's moral law or the Ten Commandments. So also note that although the magistrate will be subject to God under him, right? That's very clear. And again, in Psalm 82, if we go back, or in, in Psalm 2, 
Why do the heathen nations vainly rage? Um, I've been so discipled by you, that brother. Um, is that we, we see that they're subject to God. Uh, whether that this government be a Christian government or not. Whether it be a completely secular government, a completely secular society, they will be subject to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 talks about this very thing that we will all have to give an account for everything that we've done. Now notice, it's really interesting here. Um, we see that in this specifically as civil magistrates, they must give an account for what they have done. They must be able to give an account for what they have done. And a lot of them, friends, are going to have a really hard time in eternity. So God is the Lord of the conscience. And so when we read not only for wrath, right, the wrath of the government uh, to bring the sword, but for conscience sake, we know God is Lord of conscience. So when you subject yourself to the government, you are doing so in order to obey Christ, not the government. I want you to hear that again. When you subject yourself, you do that in order to obey Christ, not the government. So are we to resist the government? Right? That's what I wanted to hear. Are we to resist the government? In Romans 13, it states that those who resist the government will incur judgment. When looking at the Greek word for resist, it means to oppose, to resist, to range in battle against, be hostile toward, or show hostility. There is a violent reaction that is happening in resistance. So I'm going to make a clarifying statement on resistance versus something different. So are we to resist the government? Well, I would say the answer is unequivocally no. We are not to resist the government. Who did God give the power of the sword to? He gave it to the government. Okay, now we can go into the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, uh, which would be another fine study of saying, well, can we follow a lesser magistrate who would then resist a tyrant? I think there is good things to learn from that for sure. But we as Christians are not to resist the government, so the answer is no. So another question that I want to ask is, can we disobey the government? Can we be disobedient to the government? I think that's different. And I'll show you why I think that's different. In Acts 4, 19, we're out of time. Um, Acts 4, right, which is, uh, you're probably all aware of Acts 4, 19 and, and 20. And if not, you should be, uh, as well as Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Okay, so Acts chapter 4, 19 and 20, I'll read it quickly. Um, but Peter and John answered them, whatever is right in the sight of God, uh, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They're, they're saying we must speak of what God has told us to speak of. We can't deny uh, what God is telling us to do. And, and then in more plain language, we have Acts chapter 5, um, verse 29. Uh, and someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in front of the temple preaching. That's not what I wanted to say. This is me being sick again. I see 29. I was reading 25. Come on, Andrew. Get out of it. All right. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. So here's my question. Can we disobey the government? The answer is a resounding yes. 
Now, the confession would give the qualifier in all lawful things. In all lawful things. But what's the difference between resistance and disobedience? One is violent and hostile, which Scripture clearly never teaches for us to do. The second is being in subjection to a government while having God be the Lord of your conscience, which will not allow you to be compelled to sin which will lead you to disobey the government and then accept the judgment they pour out on you. So I'm going to jump down because there's much more to say about this. I'm sorry that we did not get to it. and Maybe we'll go back through it um, in, in the next couple of weeks. Um, but the reality is that our Christian church, the Christian church throughout history, the, the backdrop to Romans, the backdrop to 1 Peter is not a government uh, that was... Uh, particularly welcoming to Christians. In fact, that government was certainly a government that was not okay with Christians. And if you even go back behind that with the Jews, the Jews were actually being insurrectionists at the time. There were insurrections that were happening that were trying to take over Jerusalem, take it back from the Roman government. And Paul is calling to these people saying, be subject to them. So it's not just, well, Andrew, that was, that was back then in the Bible. But right now we have a tyrannical government. We must not. Su-. No, no, no. It's very clear that in that time, the very same thing, well, not the very same thing, not yet, um, was happening. Um, and, and, and there was similar and had similar consequences. But that doesn't mean that we must say yes to everything the government tells us to do. We must very clearly always come back to the word of God. And if they tell us to do something that is contrary to the word of God, we are allowed to disobey. Okay. But that's not all that they call us to do. They call us to pray for the civil magistrates. Okay. So two scriptures that I want you to look at when you get home today um, are going to be 1 Peter 2, uh, 13 through 17. And then um, another one is 1 Timothy, but I might just read that for us right now. Um, we can have that and then be done. So 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, it's in your notes. Go back and read that. I think it reaffirms the uh, being subject to human authorities. Um, now, as far as supplication goes, I want you to read this or I want you to, to hear it out loud. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Okay, I I want you to hear that this morning. That's why we pray for the government. We pray for the government, sure that they would believe, sure that they would institute God-honoring laws, that we would um, get rid of horrible blights on our society like abortion. Like we, we pray for those things to stop. But we also pray that we would be able to live a quiet, peaceable life so that the gospel might spread. Not so we can just have a peaceful life, so we can be hunky-dory, peachy keen, but that the gospel might spread. All right, brothers and sisters, we are certainly out of time. I apologize. And uh, I will certainly take your questions, concerns, uh, deep uh, historical questions about if we can be uh, in the civil government or not, or your view on civil government, or your view on resistance, and all of those things. But I'm just giving you the 1689's quick understanding of it this morning. So let's pray. Oh God, our God, how majestic is your name. This morning we pray for President Biden. We pray, Father, that you would give him clarity that you would give him wisdom, 
that you would be able to help him see um, the folly of understanding or, or listening to our own hearts and leading on our own understanding. May he lean not on his own understanding, but may he trust God and lean on your understanding. May he fear you and fear your word and, and use your word to be his worldview and his guide. God, we also pray um, for our own, our, all the other governing authorities that we have over us. Father, may they honor you. May they bring you glory. May they stop sinning. God, may you uh, use them to be a light in the darkness. Uh, Lord, I pray for their salvations. Would you um, bring them to a true understanding of Christ and not just one that, that pleads an understanding of Christ to the people when they want their votes, but one that is always following after Christ and every word and deed while they eat and while they drink, whether they're a home or a way that they would make it their aim to glorify you in all things. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.